Part two, chapter eight of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. 1798 to 1799. Life at Richmond. It was at the beginning of the summer of 1798 that the Princesse de Bouillon, of whom I've spoken at the commencement of these recollections, came to England to arrange the affairs of an inheritance which had been left her by her friend, the Duchesse de Biron. If I'm not mistaken, the sum involved was 600,000 francs in English funds. Madame de Bouillon was a German Princesse de Hesse-Rottenburg, although she had passed her life in France, where she married the cripple who had never been her husband except in name. Joined by a long and faithful attachment to Prince Emmanuel de Zahm, she had had a daughter who was brought up under the name of Theresia. During the emigration, this daughter had married a young councillor of the Parliament of Aix, who has since become well known, Monsieur de Vitrolles. One morning, after my aunt had gone to make a call on Madame de Bouillon, I saw these two ladies return together. Several moments later, Madame Denis entered my room, accompanied by my husband. We have arranged for you, she said. Monsieur de Vitrolles is going away, and Madame de Bouillon does not wish to remain alone in her lodging, although she has it at her disposal for three months still. She wishes to give it up to you in exchange for your own. You'll be much more comfortable there. A sign from my husband gave me to understand that I ought to accept this proposition. I therefore moved to the dwelling of Madame de Bouillon, and here was born a boy to whom we gave the name of Edward, as he was the godson of Lady Jerningham and her son Edward. The good Chevalier Jerningham came to see me and said that my aunt, his sister-in-law, thought that with three children I could not, when I left my present residence, return to the two little rooms of the modest lodging which I had occupied with Madame Denin. He had therefore undertaken to find a small house at Richmond where we would be at home. His search had succeeded beyond anything we could have hoped for. The house belonged to a former actress of Drury Lane, who had been at one time very beautiful and very popular. She never occupied it, but the dwelling was so neat and well kept that she was not anxious to lease it. However, the eloquence of the Chevalier and the £45 sterling offered as rent by Lady Jerningham decided her. This little house, which was a real jewel, was only 15 feet wide. On the ground floor was a hall, a pretty salon with two windows, and then a stairway which was hardly visible. The first floor comprised two charming bedrooms, and the floor above two other rooms for servants. At the end of the hall on the ground floor was a nice kitchen, which looked out on a miniature garden, with only a path and two flower beds. There were rugs everywhere and a fine English oilcloth in the passageways and upon the staircase. Nothing could have been more attractive, cleaner, and more gracefully furnished than this little house, 
which could have all been put in a room of medium size. However, I was very unhappy in taking possession, for that very day I lost my little boy, aged three months. He was carried off in a moment by an attack of pleurisy, which I attributed to the neglect of the English maid who cared for him. I was very ill and almost dying when I took possession of the little house with my two surviving children, Umbert and Charlotte. Having only these two children to look after, we discharged our English servant. My maid Marguerite had learned a little cooking during my absence in the United States, and she very willingly placed her experience, and above all her zeal, at our disposal. England, where there are fortunes so immense, existences so luxurious, is at the same time the country in the world where poor people can live in the most comfortable manner. For instance, there is no necessity for going to market. The butcher never fails a single day to come at a fixed hour, crying, Butcher, at your door. You open the door and tell him what you want. Is it a leg of lamb? He brings it all arranged, ready to put upon the spit. Is it lamb chops? They are arranged on a little wooden platter which he calls for the following day. On a slip of paper are written the weight and the price. About this time, as Madame Dillon refused to pay our income, we found ourselves much embarrassed. All the money which we had on hand was five or six hundred francs, and when this sum was spent, we did not know what we could do, not for a lodging, for our little house cost us nothing, but literally for food. My friend Chevalier Jerningham had informed me that my uncle Lord Dillon had refused with the greatest severity to come to our aid. In addition to this, all communications had ceased with France. At this moment, we received from Monsieur de Chambeau, who was still living in Spain, a despondent letter in which he said that he had no news from France and that nobody had sent him a sou. His uncle, the former fermier general of whom he was the sole heir, had just died after having made a will in his favour, but the government had confiscated the inheritance on the ground that he was an émigré. The day that he wrote us, a last Louis composed his entire fortune, and he could no longer count upon his friends in Spain, whose goodwill he had already exhausted. Upon receiving this letter, my husband did not hesitate a moment to share with his friend the last of his funds. He rushed to a banker where he purchased a draft for ten pounds sterling, payable to bearer. The same day, he sent it to Madrid. This was nearly a half of our own resources. There remained with us only twelve pounds sterling on hand, without any other resources to pay our bills when this sum was spent. We were not willing to ask the aid afforded by the English government to the emigres, on account of my family, and above all, on account of Lady Jerningham. So far as Lord Dillon was concerned, I had no scruples of any kind. Out of respect for the memory of my father, I did not wish to declare publicly that his widow, Madame Dillon, my stepmother, who was proprietor of a house at London, 
where she gave dinners and evening entertainments, had refused to come to my succour. A last five-pound note was all we had left when, one morning, my good cousin, Edward Jerningham, came to see me. He was a charming young man who had just passed his twenty-first birthday. He well justified the passionate love which his mother felt for him. As he arose to leave, I went to the door to see him mount his horse. He remained a moment behind, and I saw him slip something into my work-basket. I made a pretense of not noticing anything on account of his extreme embarrassment. After his departure, I found in my basket a sealed letter addressed to me. It contained only these words. Offered to my dear cousin by her friend Ned, and a note for one hundred pounds sterling. My husband returned a moment afterwards, and I said to him, See, here is the reward for what you have done for Monsieur de Chambord. The next day, as you may well suppose, he went to London to thank Edward, but found that he had already left for Cossy. Several days later, I also went to London with two English ladies whom I knew and whom I frequently saw at Richmond. They were two sisters, of whom the elder, Miss Lydia White, has been celebrated as a famous blue stocking. She had conceived for me a kind of romantic passion on account of my adventures in America. One of these ladies sang well, and we enjoyed our music together. Their books were at my disposal. When I went to visit them in the morning, they kept me with them the whole day, and when the evening arrived, I was only able to tear myself away by promising to return before the end of the week. Having formed the plan of passing a week at London, they implored Monsieur de la Tour du Pain to permit me to accompany them. This little trip to London with Miss Lydia White and her sister put me somewhat in touch with society. We went to the opera, and they also took me to a large assembly at the house of a lady whom I hardly saw. There were people on the stairway, and no one was able to sit down. We had great difficulty in leaving the house. The crowd of guests were so numerous. At the end of the week, which appeared to me long and tiresome, I returned with pleasure to Richmond. Monsieur de Poix, who was living at Richmond, had an excellent horse and a tilbury. Frequently I went on foot to Teddington, a village about two miles from Richmond, and he brought me back to Richmond in his carriage. In this way passed the summer of 1798. We made an excursion of a week of which I retain the pleasantest recollections. My children were so safe with my excellent maid that this little absence did not cause me any disquietude. We set out, Monsieur de Poire and I in his Tilbury, my husband on horseback, and having passed Windsor, we went to spend the night at Maidenhead. From there we went to Oxford, to Blenheim, to Stowe, and returned by Aylesbury and Uxbridge. The beautiful country estates which we visited charmed me. It is in the country only that the English are really grand seigneurs. We were favoured by very fine weather during the whole week which we employed for this excursion. In this connection, 
I must say that the climate of England outside of London is very much calumniated. I have not found it worse than that of Holland, and incomparably better and less uncertain than that of Belgium. A little trip left me with the most agreeable impression. Returned to Richmond, I resumed my household occupations. The news from France appeared somewhat better. My husband even formed the plan of sending me over for several days, armed with an English passport, which would not have been entirely false, since I should have signed it by my maiden name, Lucy Dillon. At this moment, unfavourable news was received, and this determined me to renounce my trip to France. The news came the very day that I was to set out. Personally, I was much pleased not to undertake this trip, which was very disagreeable to me, not because I was afraid, but because the thought of leaving my husband and children caused me a real chagrin. At this time, I made the resolution never to return to France without them. My life at Richmond was very monotonous. I no longer saw anything of Madame Dillon, since we had succeeded in getting some money from her, at the end of a very lively correspondence between my husband and her man of affairs. When I went to London, which happened only once or twice, I saw no one except Lady Jerningham or Lord Kenmare, who for a year past had given me six louis a month. Once I paid a visit to Madame de Durat at Teddington, where I went sometimes alone on foot, and sometimes with Monsieur de Poix in his carriage. Towards the end of the winter, Miss White left Richmond. This was a real grief to me, not because we had formed a durable friendship, but because she had been so kind to me that I found her sojourn in our neighbourhood very agreeable. For some time past, my health had not been good. I felt very languid, without knowing exactly what was the matter with me. I was not able to have a carriage, and our house was situated in a remote quarter called The Green. I had therefore given up going out after supper, and devoted my evenings to reading the books which Miss White, who had a fine library, had sent me in large numbers. A subscription to the circulating library is very dear in England, and I was not able to take one. Therefore, you can imagine my joy when one day... I received a box addressed in my name, of which the messenger gave me the key. I opened it and found ten volumes from Ookham's Circulating Library at London, with a catalogue of twenty thousand volumes of all kinds, English and French, which were contained in this library. Joined to this consignment was a receipt in my name for a year's subscription, with a notice that by putting the box on the stage at seven o'clock in the morning, I would receive the same evening the new books which I had ordered. Nothing could have been more agreeable to me than this attention. I attributed it to Miss White. Having written to thank her, she made no reply, from which I inferred that she did not wish to admit that she had sent the books. The summer of 1799, my health was somewhat better. Our house on the green had a party wall with that of a rich alderman of London. 
a little fence eight or ten feet from our windows formed a barrier between the two properties as is usual in england the house of the alderman had a pretty yard covered with turf surrounded like our own by a fence my son had arranged a small flower bed in the little space which he called his garden he entered this by the window of our sitting-room where i always sat with my work his sister charlotte often accompanied him to the garden as we were living in an out-of-the-way place hardly anyone ever passed our house end of part two chapter eight